your host. I'm an executive coach, a speaker, a peer advisory board leader. And today I am joined in this new year by my co-host, Addison Price. All things demand generation and branding. It's like that you need is a tagline. so what I do. Yeah, it's almost, that's my superpower. See, and I now I know the title. I got it. I don't know if you noticed that. But. Yeah, we've been practicing. <laughs> we've been practicing and you finally nailed it. That's perfect. Yeah, I'm excited for the new year of podcast. I know we've got a great series of podcasts that we're bringing to you. Um, some good, fresh energy, um, amazing people doing big things in the world. I love people that don't play small. And speaking of somebody who doesn't play small, uh, we have Victoria Woods on the show today. So what you're going to learn is we could probably have six podcasts with her. So absolutely, um, what we really wanted is just to share somebody that comes from humble beginnings that probably could have had a path that, you know, didn't end where it did. And so she shares a lot of stories and opportunities and just about how she even started her, you know, very successful financial advising business. Um, so she is the chief investment advisor and founder of Chapelwood Financial Services. Um, she's an advisor to afflu affluent clients and been doing that over 30 years. She's a very recognized leader in the investment advisory industry. I do not have time to list all the awards and recognitions, but she's been featured in Newsweek magazine for the financial planning guide. She has authored books. It's all about the money, honey. Uh, she's appeared on the Today Show with Meredith Vieiras. She's been on Success Today with Bachelor Bob. Fox News, Fox Business, CBS, NBC, I mean, you name it, she's been on the TV show. Um, she hosts a weekly radio show, It's All About the Money, Honey, on iHeartMedia. Um, she gives back in um, big ways. She's on boards for Asset Mark Wealth Management, Enterprising Women Magazine. Uh, she was appointed by the governor of the state of Oklahoma to the Oklahoma State Commission on the Status of Women. She was just recognized as one of the 55 most inspiring Oklahomans. I mean, it goes on and on. It's just she, her intro isn't inspiring enough. I don't know, I know. what else will be. Yeah. I know. <laughs> she started some great groups. So after um, the interview in the podcast notes, we will really have all the ways you can connect with Victoria. So um, her radio show, her books, um, she has uh, a million aspiring millionaires club you can join. Um, she's, um, like I said, she's does not have a lack of uh, energy and she doesn't have a lack for ideas. So I actually just ran into her at the gym um, not too long ago. And so I'm like, yep, I see you everywhere. So I'm really pleased to have Victoria. All right. Well, welcome, Victoria. It is so good to have you on the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I enjoy doing a podcast so much, and especially yes. women that I admire so much as you, Annette. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, in your introduction, there was no way to possibly list all of your accolades, your awards, everything, you know, where you've been recognized. But I do want to say congratulations. You were just recognized as one of 55 inspiring Oklahomas, which most definitely deserves. So that, that's like probably hot off the newest hot off the press for you. Yeah, that was. Uh, and it's pretty impressive that, you know, the to me, the uh, company I'm keeping 
when you look at there's General Aragon and Lou Kerr and you, you know, JC, I mean, just look at the list of people. So I was truly very honored to actually be recognized in that group and then to know that we were going to be exhibited uh, during this legislative session at the Capitol, the Rotunda. So that was that reception was pretty special as well. So thank you. Well, you you big things like you there's nothing that you do that's small you do not play small so you play big which i love but you also give big so all all the recognition and things that you've um been bestowed upon you are so well deserved so and i'm excited because i get to call you a friend and i get to have you and um kind of share a little bit about your story so i want to jump in um i really like kind of help us just how did victoria get started like kind of walk us early on. And then um, I do want to talk about how you got into the financial advisor business and what made you take that leap, but kind of what, where were you when you were young Victoria and how did you kind of start your path? Well, I'm old, so we've got to go way back. We've got unlimited storage. We're good. <laughs> well, it, you know, I, I appreciate you asking that because usually we just start jump right in from, from the finance, but um, when I was reading some of your uh, your emails and thinking about you know what you wanted to talk about as far as leadership you know and it really goes back to meeting a woman when I was 13 years old and she was on stage at my junior high and you know that's an awkward time girls you know 13 14 I mean it's just an unusual time for us I have to admit it it was I mean I ran away from home so that's what I'm thinking about right okay. now <laughs> Okay. It's a challenging time for us, but I, this woman came to our school and was talking about this program. It was really motivational, and I just watched her just strut across this whole state. She didn't just come up and stand and talk. I mean, and I mean, she kind of strutted back and forth, and I was, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was mesmerized by this woman, and she was asking for young women to come and participate in what was called a Wendy Ward paysetter program. And that was years ago when um, Montgomery Ward had an advisory board team and we did fashion shows. And so, I mean, I was all in because I had come from such humble beginnings. And that's a nice way of saying we were very poor, just saying. So, you know, we didn't have lunch money. Uh, I don't even know if you know my backstory really in that. I, yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> seven of us living in this matchbox house. And then there was nine of us on the weekends with my stepfather's other two children. So, you know, we didn't have lunch money. I found a way to, when I was 11 and 12 years old, we moved in when I was on my 12th birthday and there was a fence in the backyard with an apartment complex. So of course, all of us, brothers and sisters, we get tired of playing with each other. We go to the apartment complex and we play kickball and, you know, we just have a great time. But all of these kids needed supervising. And I realized that I could start a really a little side hustle is what we call it today. Back then, we just said, I'm your babysitter. And they literally, I started babysitting one child after another, after another. And I realized, well, why don't I just group them all together? I don't have to pick and choose. Let me just tell all these moms, I'll do them all together. At 12 years old, Annette, I was babysitting six kids at a time from wow. infants to about really to about 11 or 12 years old. But as my mom would say, I was always kind of bossy. 
So I just, I just, she said I came out of the womb bossy. And that, <laughs> she called me about three years ago and was telling me she was reading, she's laughing, reading my baby books. And she said, she just laughed because my mom doesn't call me. It's like, you know, my job to call mom. That's our rule in our world. So when she calls, you think, oh my gosh, what's happened? But she's laughing. And I'm like, what is so funny? And she said, I have written baby books. And all this, you know, you got the one year. Here's a clip of her little hair. She's bossy. (laughs) Your baby book says, yes, she got a tooth. She started walking, whatever. And she's bossy. And year three, she says, and she's still bossy. (laughs) But in in some of my first recollections was I was always the runt. So I'm pretty little, you know, five foot. But all of my cousins, I always organized the games. And everybody was going to play. It's like, nope, this is what we're doing. Here we're going. You're going to do this. You're on so-and-so's team. And everybody just followed my lead. So, you know, and you don't think about those things when you're young. But as I got older and people start asking me, then I look back and I go, well, my mama said I was always bossy. I came out. (laughs) Why not be a boss? Well, I love that you, you know, I think I love that you were at a young age. There was an opportunity to join something and you took that step because I think there's a lot of people not so young that get opportunities. And if it's fear or um, they don't think it's the right time, there's some reason they don't say yes. So I love that, you know, and you are a yes person. You know, I love that you just, you know, seize that and which kind of started your projectory up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very good point. I do this guest speaking appearance when I talk about just say yes, uh, because you don't know what that opportunity will lead to. And that opportunity was, as you say, I mean, it was a, a leap of faith, but it was one thing after another, it led me. And what I realized, because I'm a, I'm very uh, observant. My husband says I should be in CS, I should be a CSI. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in the other room right now. I, I mean, I just know what's, I'm very observant. I know what's going on. And I watched this woman. So I took this, you know, leap of faith. And then she asked me to do everything. I mean, I, you know, you have this board and she should select certain people for different, you know, spread out the love in other words, but she didn't. She always contacted me first. And one day she was telling someone, well, the reason I have, um, and she called me Vicki, Vicki Lynn, the reason Vicki is selected is because I can count on her. I never cancel. It, but that goes back to my mom. We had a work ethic. That in my household, if you made a commitment to something, oh my, I don't care what's happening. I don't care how you feel. I don't care who asked you to go to a better party. I don't care if a boy asked you and you said yes and another better, you know, another opportunity. No, you keep your commitments. And all of her children, I wrote it. She, my mom just passed away recently and I wrote this about her. So I've had a lot of time really thinking about it. And the few things, it was like all her children, no matter what, you know, where they are in life, they are hardworking. They stay with companies for 20, 30 years. They make a commitment. They live up with their, to, to their commitment. And so when Shirley says to me, her name was Shirley Fitzgerald. And I just followed her around like a little puppy dog too, because she would always invite me to do whatever. And then I didn't have transportation. So she'd say, I'll come pick you up. And so I just got to follow this woman who was the only executive on the seventh floor at the Montgomery Ward Warehouse in Fort Worth, Texas, 
And I remember it didn't seem like a big deal until the first time I was with her and we walked down the hall and there's all of these men's offices going down this big hallway, you know, and the windows are on one side. So you know who the priorities were and the men's on the other. And then there's an L shape. And at the end of the hall was her little desk with her, her office. But there's a desk outside each of these men's offices with a secretary. And we get down to hers. She doesn't get a secretary. It doesn't face her a bit. She's like, I'm on the seventh floor with all the men. And I found out later how she started grooming to get that position. I mean, she sold this position and she really worked at it. Um, but it was uh, such a great experience. And I got to be Mickey Mouse once or five <laughs> or three years. Like one time she, I was the only one small enough to wear the Mickey Mouse outfit. <laughs> And I got to go to the stores and greet the kids and learn what Mickey does and how he waves. And one time, I mean, to, this is a commitment. We had a homecoming football game, but a day that I had committed to do this. So I had rollers in my hair with the big giant Mickey Mouse hat on. <laughs> and I wore that all day long. I changed clothes in the back seat of her car. She took me after our whole day of being at the store, and then we went to the children's hospital. Well, that was a life lesson right there because we would go see children with cancer. And I'd be crying, and Mickey cannot speak, but I'm crying underneath this head, and the kids are so excited. But I learned right then and there, even though I, I know, knew I had a servant's heart, you know, at the age of 14, 15 years old, I knew I cannot be a nurse. I am one of those people that I will get down in the hole with you and I need to be up here to help someone. I need to stay up here and reach down and pull you up. But I knew that that was, you know, check that off the list. Not going to happen. This is not for you. So you learn a lot of things when you, um, when you're observant and you pay attention to what's going on. It helps you delete things that you're not going to be good at. So she was really the first, and it was a female that, you know, well, it really my mom was the first when I look back. I always call Shirley the first, but as I look back on my life, it really was my mom and that work ethic that she instilled in all of her kids uh, and her grandchildren the same way. All of her, we have, I have a niece that started at 18 with Dickies. She's now 35, still with Dickies in Fort Worth. And gone into internationals. And I mean, and my other niece, she's with T-Mobile, been with them for 28 years. It's it's just a work ethic. Well, you're also pointing to um, the value of mentors, you know, really finding people that will mentor you and, and, and following their lead. You know, whatever it is, it's a yes. And just to be there and to, for those experiences. Um, so that's, that's great. So, okay. So walk us to them. You're young, you, you know, you're going through your career. Like what were some of your first steps? Well, I, I went through that. They wanted me to be a store manager at Montgomery Ward. They hired me at 15 full time. So I went from babysitting six kids at 15 years old. I went to work for them. And then when I went to college, I was taking 18 hours um, at a, a junior college and working um, part-time. I'd go to school at eight in the morning until 12. And then I would go to work from uh, one to nine and or one on 
Saturday, uh, Fridays, I would work from one to five. Then I'd go to a restaurant and I would host us from six, 6.30 to midnight. And then on Saturday mornings, I would get up and I taught Wendy Ward classes then. And so I would teach from nine to noon and then I would go on the floor from noon to five. I mean, it was just a, a crazy, crazy schedule, but you know, I just, this is what you do. I mean, I, I didn't know any different. And at the age of uh, 17, I believe, they put me on what is called a fast track. And I became a director at 17. Then they put me on this fast track, invited me to Dallas. Um, and when I got to Dallas, I was hugely successful in all these things I did. And it was a struggle and a challenge for me to accept the move from Fort Worth to Dallas. That's a big deal in Texas. If you're raised in Fort Worth, you're a cowgirl, you're Fort Worth. You go to Dallas, it seems like you're a traitor. My family called <laughs> a traitor. They said, you're going to cement city and all that. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best move for me because I, I got to work with the gentleman that I worked with in Fort Worth. He became the store manager and he brought me over and offered me this job. At, so then I was uh, 20, I believe, when he brought me over uh, to the store and I was a store. I was a manager of cosmetics, the fashion department, the candy department, and it kept growing uh, and they put me on a fast track. So I did a promotion. Never done this before in my life either. I did this promotion. They asked me as a part of the training to open the new store called the Richardson store and in Richardson's in Texas. And so we set up these um, mobile homes, you know, units, and I hired people and had a call center to set up credit cards. And when we finished and I had a competition, they had another gentleman, they had a gentleman, an older gentleman named Mel. So it was a big competition. Well, I'm not going to lose. I do not lose. So we competed on this. And of course, I beat him. I had the best team. We got the most credit cards. And the grand opening of that store was the biggest grand opening they'd ever had. It looked like the opening day of Six Flags. And I remember the management standing. I was watching them. They're standing in the aisles with all of these people. And they were just turning around in circles. Well, Mr. Wagner brought me up to Ohio. And they then they that's when I realized they said we're going to make you the first female store manager. Well, this is the lesson that I learned that has continued throughout my life, Annette. Men deciding what it is that I should have. They wanted me to be store manager. And the more I thought about this, and to be that, they sent me to or offered me a job as the first female buyer, a, a youngest buyer up in Kansas City. And I took that opportunity because I can tell you what, I wasn't even at that new Richardson store for not even four months, six months. Mr. Wagner offered me, or well, he offered. And I, again, should I go to Kansas City? I don't know, but yeah, I think I should. It changed my life. That trip to me, when I look back, taking those opportunities, because I didn't have to accept doing that challenge for the credit cards to my life. I've never, I've, I've never done anything like that. Uh, so you had to be very creative. And I, I just, I, I think, okay, this is the goal. I always go to the end first. This is the goal. Now, how do I get there? You know, what, what would motivate me to get a credit card? What would motivate me to come to the grand opening? And, and I had games and I hired this great telemarketing team and, and had them compete. But because I took that position and I was only there three years, it was amazing. I became the youngest buyer for lingerie. And again, 
I, I wanted to be in the fashion industry. I always thought I would own my own store. I even had a name back then. It was Foxy Lady. That was name. <laughs> my store. That was what I was going to do. I can see that. You <laughs> know, but a Foxy Lady, right? So, but I went there, and I got this opportunity to go to New York. Now, I'm a buyer for lingerie. Most of the women back then in lingerie have been in lingerie a long time. They fitted bras back then. I mean, you went in the dressing room, you had an attendant to help you. Nothing like today. So they were a little offended that somebody like me, young, you know, little girl from Fort Worth, Texas, never even really worked in that industry, didn't fit bras, but I was becoming the buyer of the things they were going to sell. Well, I went to New York. You're going to love this, and then you probably don't know this story. Um, do you know how we became known? For, we Back then, we had white. Playtex bras, they were white. Girdles, they were white. We had everything slip, it was white. Do you know how we became, what started the colored explosion of the fashion industry? I do not. I don't either. Maiden Forum, they had this fashion show. So Maiden Forum prances out, oh my gosh, blush colored bras <laughs> with slips to match, with panties to match. Oh my gosh. White, who cares? Blush and black. Three colors. And it was called Sweet and Sassy. Now, I am so excited about this. And so all of us buyers, you know, we break for lunch and I'm talking about how excited I am. These people, I am bloody crazy. They said, who cares? Oh, honey, you're, you, you're going to fail. You, I, I, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Now, I have the authority to buy. Now, I do have a boss, but I have the authority. I went in and sold her, honey, on every single one of my stores had it. I just had a gut feeling. I was like, why wouldn't we? We like pretty. But the men kept saying, and the women said, who cares? Nobody sees them anyway. Oh, really? <laughs> so I worked them for, for every single store. And I worked them into the budget. And it became the highest. I mean, every single quarter, um, we had the highest sales. I got, I got just all these accolades because the regional manager, he was like Napoleon, though, a little guy named Nick. But he would come in and he found somebody to target and he was going to rip you apart in front of all the other buyers. That's just what his MO was. And so, I mean, I'm there, but I just kind of slink down. I'm no eye contact. I don't want to look at the man. But when you have the highest sales, you're going to get pointed out. Mm -hmm. So what does he do? He, of course, he starts pointing me out second quarter. And he's like, you know, highest sales, you know, making everybody else feel bad. But then he turns around and he said, stand up. And I stood up and he goes, now look at your out of stock. Now, see, I, I knew what he was going to do. So I did everything to prepare. Your heart's beating like this. You're in front of all of your peers, all of these buyers. But I sit there and I was just like, and I'm looking at this. And I was like, yeah, we're out of stock, out of stock position. And I'm looking at it and he's standing there and goes, so what are you doing about this? You're the worst in the out-of-stock position. And I said, uh, yes, sir. I said, well, the way I see it is I said, you have a choice. You either have those sales and increase and, you know, have your out-of-stock position or you could simply increase my budget. 
<laughs> give me more money. I can be stuff. You give me more money. It was great fun. Yeah. That's great. But, but then, you know, and that's where you have to, again, you learn. But I, what I learned as well there is that I didn't like um, not having contact. I love retail. And so I have to have contact with people. I got so frustrated. I remember the day I brought in my assistant and I said, just sat it in. I said, how are you? Fine. I was like, how, how's your family? How's the kids? How? I need people to talk to because all you were doing was computer work because you were ordering everything online. You were sending GPSs to stores, but I didn't have that personal contact. And I, I, I learned right then this desk job kind of thing is not for me. I, I have to, to be fulfilled. I, I need uh, that interactions with people. So I would never go back to that. Okay. Did that for a couple of years done next. I went back home. They could not believe they brought in a psychiatrist when I told them I was going to go back to the, they said, no, this is the ivory tower of retail. People worked our whole lives to get here. It's a nine to five. You get holidays off. I go, I know but I like people better. So I'm going back to Texas. And then when I got to Texas, I had, I had my U-Haul there and my boss Ethel called me up that Monday and goes, where are you? I said, well, I'm in Dallas. <laughs> she said, well, when are you coming back? I said, I told you I was going back to Texas. I, I gave you my two-week notice. I gave you four weeks or something. They, but they brought in a psychiatrist and, and even the psychiatrist, the, the guy said, it was a guy, and he said he was going to call my mother. <laughs> Told me that, you know, because this is not normal. This is not good thinking, Victoria. We're going to, we need to call your mother. Let's just have a conversation. Let's bring mom in. That's funny. I know. Okay. So 30 years ago, you decide to start your own financial advisor business. So kind of walk us through that. That's, that's a, that's a big, another big leap. That's a leap from fashion to finance. Yeah. <laughs> um, a, a woman from the Daily Oklahoma interviewed me about this and she wove it together so well. She totally got it. Her name is uh, Paula Burks and she's a great writer. I really admire her as well. Uh, but I was in the, I was following my husband. I got married, went to Utah and then we went to Denver. He was transferred there and I got uh, an offer to be the department manager for a store from Neiman Marcus. These people left, a group left and started Stanley Korshak. Then they left and they started this beautiful, elegant store called Printemps in Denver. Ironically, in the old Montgomery Ward building <laughs> that I was a buyer for when I was in my 20s. Is that not bizarre? That is. Transformed it. It was just gorgeous. Lolly, crystal chandeliers. They had the piano playing. They had the most beautiful staircase. I was in heaven because I like pretty. So he offered me that job and I said, you know what I would really like to do is start something different called a concierge service for, for business owners and the business owners, because I kept thinking, you know, they're busy people. They need help buying gifts for clients and for their spouses and for their kids, you know, just know your client and help them with gift giving. So I, I sold him on this and he made me, I said, I just want to be sales and do this and create this. Cause I knew what the management was like, cause I'd already done it. That's doing schedules, doing budgeting, doing buying all that. So I was like, this is what I want to do. And of course, then I was top sales in the store 
And I recruited this gentleman. I was trying to recruit him. I was, I called him to have an appointment. His name was Byron Lucas. He was referred to me by a gentleman that I had met named Randy White. And he stood me up on that. We set up an appointment. He was coming in. I was going to give him a tour of the store, show him my services, my new client. Because I had this big book of clients. And I mean, they were top level executives like the big, well, I shouldn't say their names. In, in Denver, they're big leadership <laughs> owners. But um, that's another great him. And these business owners are very interesting people. And I learned a lot from them. But this gentleman, Byron Lucas, stood me up. And so I sent him, I had these beautiful cards with a picture of the store in front of it, on it. And then I wrote him this, note. I'm so sorry that you missed your appointment. I hope everything's okay. You know, just, I will give you a call uh, on Tuesday and we can reschedule. I called, he did. I called him, we rescheduled. He stood me up again. It's like, he does not know who he's dealing with. I sent him another card. And I said, sir, it is so disappointing. I know for you that you missed your appointment. Let's do this. Next time you're in the neighborhood, and I put it in capital letters and underlined it and said, just drop by. Well, the kicker was, if I could throw a football across the parking lot, his office was on Alameda. We are in the parking lot right across from his office building. He could walk over if it was snowing in, you know, five feet of snow. So that, and I planned it so he would get it hopefully on the weekend or on Monday, because I was off on Mondays. He comes storming in like Barry Switzer, laughing, aggressive in this beautiful, quiet store. Where's Victoria Woods? And he yells and everybody comes out like, sir, can we help you? Can we help you? And the bottom line was he said, no, I want to see Victoria Woods. Give me a piece of paper. So he takes his paper and he writes his name, call me, Byron Lucas. And they put it on the bulletin board. So I come in on Tuesday, and sure enough, um, they said, you need to go. This guy came in here yelling for you. You need to go see. He's on the bulletin board. Go call it. And, of course, I just smile. I'm like, well, that strategy worked. He got in the store. He's going to start to call him. And, you know, I waited, and I thought, well, how long am I going to make him suffer? But I waited until about 11, I think, and I called him and I said, so I understand you came by the store. That's great. I'm so sorry I wasn't here, but you see, I'm top sales in the store. So I take Sunday and Monday off to be with my husband. So, you know, what can I do for you? And he said, I want you to go to work for me. And I start laughing. I said, you just stood me up twice. It, really? He said, the way you follow up, Victoria, you need to work for me. And I said, well, this is going to be a really hard sale, bucko. But I did meet with him. I waited a couple of days and I met with him and his, he and his uh, partner, Roger McCarty were in the financial services business, and they had this program that they wanted to implement in Denver that they had implemented in uh, Phoenix. It took them seven months. You know, I made them wait. But I kept thinking all the time that when what happens is when you earn a lot of money, when you haven't had any, you, you didn't have lunch money, you didn't have mentors, you didn't have uh, an uncle or anybody to help you understand about even how to you know, how to budget or how to save, what do you do? I, you know, every time I did something, I was top sales, but my, my income increased. And so what do you do? I mean, it doubled. I don't mean increase. I'm saying double. It was crazy. Well, when you're earning a lot of money, you don't know what to do. What do you do? Spend it. That's what you do. You spend it. 
So you have the best clothes, the best cars, the best apartments. You take all your friends out. I mean, you're, you're the man, basically. So that's what I kept thinking is I've earned a lot. I mean, I have earned and I've earned a lot of money. I don't know what to do with it. So this would be a, an opportunity, one, for me to learn. Number two, really learn how to in, invest, but learn from these guys that have been around. They're the old white guys, and they've been around forever. It's Brokers International. They're huge. But to learn from them, but also to help other people that were just like me, that they didn't know what to do. So I could share a program with them, and we call this the uh, benefits program, employee benefits program. And, and it was hugely successful because I just got, that's how I got in. And then I became, I just, you know, you grow. It was like, I became, I had so many clients that when we opened up in Oklahoma, when I, okay, rewind here, because what I did was I started seven months, I started, and then my husband gets transferred to Oklahoma because they wanted to do that in Denver. So now we're going to do it in, in Oklahoma. So that I was like there one month. Um, I even asked him to give me a base salary for one month. Um, and he refused to do it. He said, in our industry, you know, you kind of kill, you eat what you kill. So I said, I was so offended. You, you recruited me. I was, but I, then I said, I will show you. So I earned more in the first 30 days than I asked him for just a base to get me through the first 30 days. Cause they said it would take six months like real estate, but I was profitable the first month and then I became his top salesperson every single month thereafter so his you're going to love this Annette more than anything uh his mantra his motto his logo uh was all about um brokers international where the agent is king <laughs> well after about it was about six months I think into this that he changed without any discussion because I was the only female in a male-dominated world, that he changed it to Brokers International, where the agent is number one. <laughs> That's great. Wait, okay, so, so I mean, I know you've had so much success. I mean, it's like what you touch turns to gold. What are some of the things that, like, failures or struggles that you have that you learned a lot from? Because we all have those. Like, what, what are some of those times? Oh, yeah, we all have had them. And, and it's, I think it's really mostly the self-doubt stuff that you question what you do. I had really good intuition and I had started a, a fashion accessory in between all this with fashion accessory line. And I had uh, Victoria's Sleeve bracelets and it became international really quickly. Um, but I listened to my accountant. I listened to my husband telling me you know fearing me like hey well what because accessory lady back then said that the this fashion line was ridiculous and they tried it and it's not going to work and it just exploded well I wanted to buy because we're selling so much I wanted to buy uh, an additional 20,000 of these four stores for before the Christmas season um in about October and my accountant and my husband feared me into, well, what if you end up with all these at the end of the Christmas season? What if, you know, all these what ifs? And I chose not to do it based on their input. Well, on December 10th that year, I got a call 
from the largest accessory franchise in the country, not they weren't a franchise company in the in the country, accessory lady who had told me, poo poo, this is not, you know, it's a bad idea and all ordering. Yes, how many? 20,000. I made a commitment to myself that no matter what, when in fear and when your lack of courage, the absence of a courage, a fear, do it scared. And I would never allow that to happen to me again. I was going with my intuition, no matter what, win or lose, I was just, that's what I was going to do. And so it really um, benefited me greatly. When I had a building, um, my first bank building that I bought, when I got offered, you know, people wanted to buy it and they were building all around me. Uh, it was an entire year that I just decided I'm not going to discuss it with anyone. People wanted to give me their input. Fine. I set it aside, but I was bound and determined I was going to make that decision. And I can tell you, if I were to do what the gentlemen have told me, which all, you know, from they were friends interested they were trying thinking they're giving me good advice i would have left um close to a million dollars on the table literally so that that experience was painful the accessory lady so i made a decision i would never do it again and i didn't and haven't to this day but going from having all of these clients that's probably the scariest thing i ever did um because to me those were failures that I didn't listen to my intuition, my good sense, my history, you know, listen to yourself. My husband will say, well, how do you know this? You say, I know. How do you know? Because you can't put it on paper. And men typically want it in black and white. And I go, I can't tell you how I know. I just know. You just know these things. So you should follow your intuition. Get good advice. In the absence of courage, do it scared. And for me, it's always turned out well. The biggest leap that I have ever, um, to me, in my opinion, because buying the bank building wasn't as big a leap as everybody else thought it was. Building the financial district and, and all that was not, that, that to me was just normal. I, I don't think anything of it. What was really scary is when I built the financial services, because when you start a business, it's anybody fog in a mirror. You have to take any client, and I want to save the world. So you take everybody, and then you grow this business to over 450 clients, and I was unhappy. I had an assistant, an office manager, a sales manager, 12 outside salespeople, um, and then all of and those. The clock, I just had 450 and then they all had, and I'm managing all of them. I was unhappy because I knew that I wanted to serve people deep and not broad. So for me to dismantle what I had built, now that was courage. Um, people don't realize I, I struggled with that for probably 36 months looking for the right partners, but I had built this, this company. And the thing was, I was managing 19 properties on top of that. So I'm managing 19 properties, all of these salespeople, all of my clients, and I'm not selling everybody else. I'm bringing in more. So I was not a happy girl. And I knew I wanted to, to, so I made a decision that I wanted to just work with millionaires. And because that's where I had grown to. And, you know, I'm a millionaire and I, you know, built it all from nothing. And so I love entrepreneurs that start with kind of zero and they create something because I know 
the blood, sweat, tears, sacrifices that they make. So they, I have a passion for them and for women. It was a difficult decision. To me, it was like a marriage. You built this and now you've got to take it all apart. And it was hard for me emotionally, um, but I found the right partners, which took me a while because I wanted to base the business on three simple things. And the foundation is what people would tell me is they didn't understand their statements. Their advisors all spoke a language they didn't understand over their head. They said they didn't understand, uh, you know, if they'd made money or not. I mean, simple things. And I was like, I can solve these three problems. No problem. They wanted to understand their statements. They wanted to talk to somebody that will speak English. You know, they, and I thought, geez, this is not, shouldn't be rocket science. The hardest thing for me to find was a partner that would have a, a financial statement for clients to look at that said, I said, I want it, and I talk about this in my book, I want it to be third grade math. It needs to be, this is how much I started with. So it's A, plus or minus B, this is what I contributed or withdrew. You know, A, plus or minus B, plus or minus C, this is my gain or loss. D, that's my balance. I mean, how hard is that? Believe it or not, challenging. But in 2005, I found the right partners and I was able to take apart the business and slowly and recreate the business of what it is today, which is a really successful mid-tier millionaire advisory firm. People ask me, Annette, why do you still do your radio show? Why did you do a second edition book? That's a lot of time and work, but it's because I want to help people. So now we started the Aspiring Millionaires Club. And um, that is something that I'm very excited about this year. So oh, I could talk to you all day, but so we'll have to have you back on because there's like so many things that we could do. But we we end the show and we always ask, you know, the, the cliche of, um, I'll tell you kind of your success and your path by the people you keep around you. So who are your four? Just real quickly, who are some of the four people um, that you put around you that have just helped you throughout the years? Well, if you talk about the the people that have influenced me, that's Shirley Fitzgerald, a woman named, we got to talk about this story, Carolyn Seamus. That's a great story. She really inspired me. Uh, and I got to meet her once. It's my life goal. Um, I would say uh, Richard Steine, he uh, encouraged me when I to jump off the diving board and to create the business that I really wanted and to write a book. Uh, he just kept encouraging me to do that. And then Roger McCarty, who really encouraged me once I got went from fashion to finance. I still have cards in my desk. Uh, that from time to time, you, you have to get out when you're feeling like the world hates you, you're a loser. And you pull these cards out and you, you, you look at them and say, oh my gosh, you know, he would say to, to me all the time, babe, you're the greatest. And that's all he said. He just write a thing and go, babe, you're the greatest. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad somebody thinks so. <laughs> I feel like a sniper. And then because we all want to compare ourselves with other people. To compare ourselves with where how we grow personally. Like this is where I started. I would be darn pleased and proud of myself from where I came from to what I have yeah. and the people's lives that I've changed. Yeah. Well, and and we do a whole show on just you mentoring and giving back. I mean, because you know, you had those people that gave you a shot and an opportunity and 
Um, and, and a lot of times, like sometimes you just said yes, but then, you know, I love the story that you were going above and beyond and somebody recognized like you would be really good. You know, got recognized at a young age just for, it would be so easy to blow off a customer that, you know, just doesn't show. So I, I love that. Like I said, we could talk to you forever, but we will have you back on and we'll spotlight some of these other stories. Um, and I really do appreciate you coming on and spending time. Talk about mentorship because yeah. that's really what I'm doing right now and with the university and things like that. So that is uh, something and we've got some great success stories that you would love to hear. Um, All right. We'll book it. Okay. Well, my best advice is always though, Annette, we cannot end any show without my best advice. But my best advice is don't take advice from broke people physically, financially, or spiritually. I love that. Well, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Wow, what a great episode. It was so exciting to have Victoria on today. Just a reminder, the Leader Spotlight blog and podcast is dedicated to continual learning and thought partnerships that help us all grow as leaders. So if you would like to be featured on one of our podcasts, please email Addison at fpov.com. Um, we will have so much more content coming out this year, and we are so excited to continue into 2023. You know what? I think we learned a lot. We had a lot of inspirations. You need to share. We have a couple of other learning opportunities mm -hmm. that I think are worth sharing. So um, Addison, you need to give the details. Yes. So a couple upcoming events that we have going on right now. First and foremost, we have our updates that are kicking off for 2023. We have a whole season of updates coming up, but our first one kicks off on February 9th with co-working with generative AI. It is a hot topic right now. So it is going to be so exciting to be able to collaborate with all the participants. You can find information about that on fpov.com. And we also have our first ever security think tank coming up. So May 3rd and 4th, we'll be hosting a security think tank and diving into all sorts of security topics. This is a great event for security leaders and IT professionals. So check out more information on that also located on our website at fpov.com. We're super excited about it. It's called Technostorm. And so we'll be doing lots of forecasting, predicting all things that are kind of weather related, but all drawn back to security. And it's so important. The updates, they really are put together to help um, educate you on things that you might not have your hands around, like generative AI. What's so important about it? You will pick up things that you can go research, play with, um, that would really help you. So the updates are great. They're just thought leading. So they're mm -hmm. a great way to just get into a flow of information that really feeds and helps your leadership. And the think tank, it is great because it literally is for think sprints and you get ideas and you really hear from some incredible people, smart people from all over the country. Um, and you kind of, it's like it said, it's a think tank. So it's idea generation and, um, it's just a fun place to to be if you know if you're just in an office doing your job and you know executing. This is a, a great playground to be able to just exercise creativity. Yes, we're excited about all these upcoming events. And one more time, just to reiterate, you can find out so much more information at fpov.com. Mm -hmm.